Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fully Books, the Hidden Gems author podcast, which Craig Touch and myself, Roland Hume, chat some interesting figures and leading lights of this crazy industry in of writing and self-publishing. And today we are very delighted to have a guest from Craig's part of the world, from all the way from Ontario, to Randy Lee Boslaw, who is a writer, a speaker, an advocate, and you are here today to talk to us about the thought that needs to go into writing a book before you write the book, which I think is quite an interesting and, and prescient topic. So, Randy, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me. I am pretty good. Even though it's dreary outside, I'm doing pretty good. Oh, well, I'm very happy to hear that. And of course, we wouldn't be here without the man himself, Craig Touch, the owner and founder of Hidden Gems and an author himself. How are you doing today, Craig? doing great thanks Roland uh welcome Randy Lee um yeah it is dreary as I can <laughs> vouch for that in, in this part of the world for sure uh so yeah you know um one of the things we haven't really talked a lot about on the podcast is nonfiction, and I know that you write a variety of things but nonfiction is uh is the primary thing that uh, primary genre that you write in um and so you know I thought we would focus today on that and the idea of, you know, figuring out what it is you're going to write, understanding, um, you know, the purpose of your book, who your audience is, all of that stuff. Because I think um, people that are used to genre writing um, maybe don't know some of that stuff or, you know, don't have an idea of how to even really get started. I mean, a lot of us, I know that Roland primarily writes genre you know romance and, and stuff like that but he's also written a couple non-fiction books you know one on intermittent fasting or whatever so there's sometimes there's authors that will want to branch out into non-fiction and it's it seems like such a different beast that they might be sort of wondering you know what the differences are around that and so so you know hopefully we can talk about some of that and and uh you know figuring out the direction before you get started which seems like probably something that we want to do but maybe not you'll tell us so why don't you tell us a little bit about you know yourself and and what you write and, and then we'll sure go. so um well i'm in canada and i have two kids a grandkid some cats some dogs a husband i always put him at the bottom of the list i think it's really funny um, <laughs> And uh, I got into writing. Well, I mean, I've been writing my whole life, but I've published my first book back in 2017. Um, and I was like, I always said, I'm going to write a book, found all these poems that I had written as a teenager, put them into my book. And I was like, okay, hey, I've written a book. And then I was like, huh, I like doing that. So I just kept going. Um, and yeah, non nonfiction seems to be kind of where my heart is at um but i definitely have branched out like you said into some other genres i've done some scary story stuff and some kids books i like to sprinkle those in um uh, because nonfiction is hard to write is a very heavy topic well it depends on the topic right so what are the topics that you usually cover i assume that you know for most people like roland did you would pick a topic that you're really familiar with that's really important to you because that is one that you'd be uh you know most knowledgeable already maybe you have to do less research although i'm sure there's a lot more research involved in nonfiction than fiction but uh but yeah so you know what do you what do you typically write for nonfiction, and how do you pick your topics mental health so like I said, it's a pretty heavy topic. <laughs> so um, you said it, you pick a topic that you are well versed in that you're very familiar with. And so I've been dealing with mental health, my own struggles, family struggles, parenting struggles all around mental health 
forever. Um, so it really made the most sense to talk about that topic. Um, so there is, yeah, there is a lot of pre-planning. I mean, first you have to live through it. <laughs> um, but yeah. then you have yeah, but then you got to figure out what pieces that you're willing to share and which ones you're like, oh, maybe the world doesn't need to know that. Yeah, and I think with certain topics like that, you know, there are sort of those questions about, you know, how much you want to share, whereas with something that isn't as personal, like I'm sure with intermittent fasting, there's probably very little that Roland didn't really want to share. Maybe he didn't want to talk about like his starting weight and ending weight. But other than that, I don't know what else there would be. Yeah, for the most part, um, I like to say I'm an open book. I have not taken out too many things. Um, I pretty much try to be as open and transparent with my books because first off, it helps me just in life. <laughs> um, writing is very cathartic. And when you're writing nonfiction, it's that much more cathartic because you are literally shedding out all of that bad stuff. Um, but when it comes to the emotional side, I think that's the part that sometimes I don't necessarily um, specifically leave out, but I try to put a more positive spin on. Um, so for example, my last nonfiction book that came out earlier this year, it was about my brother's death by a drug overdose. And the first draft was filled with such rage and anger at him that I was like, oh, this is not, this is not a good book right now. <laughs> so I, I do touch on the, top, the, the fact that I was angry at him in the book, but by the final draft, it was still a more positive um, book than, than it started as. How many drafts did you go through, if you don't mind me saying, from your first book to your finished product? didn't count um i'm gonna say like real true drafts because sometimes since it was such a hard topic sometimes i'd only be able to write for like 15 minutes and then i'd be like hey i'm done i'm crying um so i'm not gonna say those were drafts or even real real well work i'm gonna say true drafts maybe five um, um oh roland you're on mute i think or yeah hearing nice Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say that's quite a lot, actually. That That's quite a lot of work to, to write your book and then kind of rewrite it five times. Yeah, I, again, it was that emotional aspect with that one. Um, but I think that the final draft, like the final copy really came across exactly how I wanted it to. Right. So how would you, I mean, I guess so with nonfiction, you know, I would imagine you kind of want to do a little bit of market research before you start to make sure that there's an audience big enough for your topic. I mean, sure, writing is cathartic and there's value in writing it regardless of whether anyone reads it. And, and you know, that's, that's a thing too. But if you're looking for to maximize, you know, the commercial success and you're, you know, you haven't, there's not a specific topic that you necessarily are like, I need to write this one you probably want to research a little bit to see, you know, is there a market for what I'm writing? You know, sometimes you can jump on trends. I'm not saying that, you know, when Roland wrote his intermittent fasting was trending then, then I don't know if it was, I know, you know, it, it has its ups and downs, right? So if you, you can capitalize on, on when it's popular, um, but that's not always 
as obvious, right? So I think uh, there's probably some sort of research, research that goes into it before you get started. Is that Maybe for some people, um, I, I'll fully admit, I, I don't do that, but it's because the topic is so near and dear to my heart that honestly, if only one person reads the book and actually takes some kind of value out of it, like it actually helps them um, because I'm writing about mental health. So if only one person finds some kind of useful tool out of it, I feel like I've been successful with that book. Um I've definitely had a lot more people read them than just one, which is awesome. Um, but when it comes to the topics that I'm choosing to write about, um, I don't do the market research first. However, I mean, you can look in the news and very easily see that mental health is a trending topic. It is a, something that needs to be discussed. Um drugs like the last one about drugs is, is such a huge topic and you know the opioid crisis and um leading to homelessness and all of this these different things i i feel like i didn't necessarily have to do a heck of a lot of market research anyways because i can just open my facebook and there's a million stories about those topics yeah i agree i, I mean like i said there like when you wrote it yours is sort of like that other case where it's like you don't care necessarily about you know you just want to help even if it's a few and, and i think any book you you're going to write there's always going to be some audience for it um it's just a matter of whether or not you know you're looking to you know make a career out of writing nonfiction. then you're probably going to want to go for some of the ones that are, are more popular you know that have a bigger potential audience than others not saying mental health isn't one of them i have no idea right but but like you know if you write something that's super super specific and niche you might have a harder time uh finding your readers oh a hundred percent so my the second book that i wrote is actually about raising my kid with autism so yes there are tons of, of families out there that have um, autism in it, they're dealing with it, there's teachers out there, right? Like there, there is a wide audience for it. However, it is still a much more um, niche and specific topic than mental health. Mental health, even though my book, like one is about my depression, the other about drug addiction, even though they have specific mental health diagnoses that I'm talking about, you can really read them for any mental health kind of um issue so it is a much wider topic than talking about parenting and parenting a kid with autism right yeah it is a much broader topic for sure and i think you know you, it depends too like if you're going to write something like about um you know giving financial advice or something you know that has a, a really broad mm -hmm. base as well everyone needs to understand money and how to and wants to learn how to maximize it and, and invest well and whatever. So, you know, there's obviously there's there's like a huge market. And then, you, you know, if you specialize and be like, OK, this one's specifically about, you know, investing in your, you know, in your retirement plan. And this one's specifically on saving for your kids going to college. You know, you can you can niche it out that way, too. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you're writing your books, are you thinking at all about you know, the audience and the purpose? So that is pretty much the only thing that I think about pre-writing the book. So just before we were recording, you know, Roland had said, oh, pantser plotter kind of came up as a topic and I'm a pantser. However, 
in order to really find the direction of the book, even though I'm a pantser, I'm not plotting out the whole thing. I'm not deciding what chapter is going to be what ahead of time. I still need to figure out who it is that I'm writing for and why I am writing that book. Because with it being such a big topic and such a big part of my life, um, I've been able to write more than one book on mental health. But if I wouldn't have had a specific purpose for each book, then I wouldn't have been able to go, okay, this book specifically is for, you know, teenagers trying to just get through a crisis in their life. This book here is somebody who is prepared to make some changes. You know, this one here is for the family members. So finding out who exactly it is that I'm speaking to. So I'm, I do very conversational writing. Um, so who it is I'm speaking to through my writing, um, that helps me to then direct how I'm wording things, what kind of language I'm going to actually use in the book, um, as well as making sure that I am staying on track for what the message of that book is. So going back to to the one I was just talking about, um, the one about my brother, it's called Goodbye Too Soon. And there's lots of books out there um, about addiction. They are sometimes written by somebody who has had an addiction. And so they're writing to other people who are in their addiction. My book is specifically written to the family members. So knowing who it is that I'm talking to made it a lot easier as I'm writing, as I'm going through. And there was some research, like say the risk factors. As I'm talking about the risk factors, making sure that I'm not saying to the family members, especially my book, because my mom read it. And so at some points it's like, um, Childhood trauma plays a big role in, in whether or not somebody develops an addiction. But making sure going consciously in my head, okay, if my mom was to read this, just like any mom was to read this book, I'm not saying you did something wrong. You did the best you could with the tools that you had, but this is just a risk factor. So understanding your audience plays a huge role in what you're saying. Yeah, I think you don't want to have your mom read that. And, and then she needs to go to therapy because she feels like she's ruined your life. <laughs> right? She got that vibe off my first book. Um, well, actually, she so my first book that came out in 2017, it's poetry that I had written as a teenager when I was super depressed at the time. So it's very, very dark. Um, not a heck of a lot of context in it because it's a book of poetry. And so when my mom was describing it to my dad and they they aren't together, I don't talk to my dad too much, but he just happened to be where we were at the time. And my mom said, yeah, it's a book about how we're horrible parents. And I was like, oh, that was, <laughs> that was not my intention at all. So understand who it is you're talking to so that you can use the correct language um, is so important. Yeah, I, I can imagine that a lot of parents are going to read those and automatically take that sort of idea, no matter how carefully you write it, right? You know? Right, there, there's always going to be somebody who reads it and goes, oh my goodness, you said I did it wrong, even though it very clearly states in the next line, if you didn't know this, how could you have changed it? <laughs> yeah. I think you can't take things too personally, but I guess as parents, you know, we're being a parent is you're just racked with guilt about how you're worried you're going to be letting your kids down. And every parent does their best job normally. But Yeah, I always like to say you do the best you can with the knowledge you have at that time. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so I guess even when you know the topic, you know, I feel like nonfiction is... Um, you have to be much more careful to get 
your facts right. So I imagine you have to do a lot more research than you would in genre fiction. I mean, even somebody who's writing, you know, a, a historical book, uh, fiction book, there's, you know, they often want to get a lot of the things right, but there's also more latitude and, you know, the fact that it's fiction. So, yeah. you know, it's not as important if you mess up a few of the facts, whereas with, you know, a book like mental health or, or finance or, or Benjamin Fassett, like you want to make sure that you're getting your facts right. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely um, did quite a bit of research um, in all of my books, but I just, I like to talk about my most recent one, obviously. Um, but in, in that one, I wanted to, because I was talking to the family members, again, it goes back to knowing the audience to know what facts to put in. Um, but knowing that I'm talking to the family members and a big part of it was letting them know that they did nothing wrong and that they can't forcibly change someone. Um, again, purpose, it all comes back to audience and purpose. Um, but knowing those things, I was able to go, okay, I want to research and put in here the definition of what an addiction is. And not just slap it in there, but I want to have a discussion about it. So I did put in there right from the DSM-5 and explained what that was, which is the diagnostical criteria used to make a diagnosis for somebody. And so really dive into what does that mean? And then I related it back to my brother so that people could understand why, why it was in the book and how it kind of works. The same thing with risk factors. I mean, you can go on a if you just Google risk factors for addiction, there's tons and tons of websites out there. So sifting through and finding reliable, incredible ones is so important. So I really love WebMD. That's an awesome one. Um, oh my gosh, my brain just went blank of the other ones. <laughs> there, there's certain ones, right, that you know are just way better than other ones. Um, I can see the picture of the website. It's got a blue background. I don't know. <laughs> funny how our brains work but knowing you know fact checking I'm not just going to the one website I'm going to more than one to make sure that what I'm saying is true and then I list all my resources in the back right so everybody you can go back obviously the information is true at the time of publishing because websites can always be updated um, but you got to take that with a little bit of grain of salt as things update but uh, yeah, making sure that you fact check, not just on one website, but on multiple and ones that you know are credible and reliable. You're not just going to, you know, Joe Blow's blog, which unless you're talking about a random thing that, and that makes sense for your book, um, making sure that it's people that, you know, doctors are actually writing this information or financial advisors are actually writing this information. So you know that there is a knowledgeable base behind it. Yeah, you definitely want reputable sources. And I think that's one of the challenges you face as a self-published author writing nonfiction is because, you know, people can write anything about anything and it's important to have that actual credible information behind it. Yeah. Mayo Clinic. Yeah. That's the other one I love. Sorry, I knew it would be uh, in yes. my head. <laughs> I, I mean, I think, too, like often you'll find that the people that write the nonfiction are, you know, experts in the field. Often you'll see their doctors or, you know, professionals that, that know about it so often that gives some credibility to it as well um in terms of you know you made a good point about the fact that you know the the, the knowledge that you impart is factual at the time um but things change new research comes out things get revised do you end up um have you ever or do you have a strategy for revising your 
uh, nonfiction books from time to time? So at this point, I haven't. Um, but as far as I know, there also hasn't been any major breaks in in things that I've written that would have made a big change. Um, I am I am wanting to revise my poetry book, and mainly that's because when my mom said that, and even though she said it years ago, and I still haven't revised it, <laughs> it's still on the top of my head to do though. Uh, I've realized now, you know, I'm not speaking to the audience correctly. I need to, I feel like I need to put a little bit more maybe context before all the really, really dark poems, um, just to give some context and some, a little bit more light to the book. But it wasn't because research-wise anything has changed quite yet. Um, even with with the book about my kid, there there might be a few differences now with, with autism. What I'm doing with that one is I'm actually almost finished living through the teenage years. So book two will be out and that will kind of be how it gets revised is that now that we are older and have learned new things and more research has come out, you'll notice from book one to book two and that kind of thing. So that's how I'm going to work that one. Um, but if there is any major changes, say in five years when it comes to addiction, I, I might go back and, and say, hey, this is some new information we didn't have at the time. This is important to know. Yeah, and it gives you an easy way to, you know, refresh the book and sell a revised version, right? It's like textbooks. Every year they change so that you resell them. <laughs> I know. I remember in college, my I had to use the criminal code and my husband had used it the year before. So I just used his. What I think like one line in the whole stinking thing was changed and they're telling us we have to buy new ones. I was like, no, no. Not and they're not cheap, are they? <laughs> no, they're like a hundred bucks a pop. Yeah. Um, okay, so when we're talking about purpose, right, you know, the purpose of your book, is there a good way to figure that out, like a trick you use, rule of thumb for people to figure out the so, purpose? Of my trick um, is to follow what I feel in my heart, which sounds so cheesy and corny as I'm saying it out loud, but <laughs> that's what it is. So when... Um, when I actually started writing uh, Embracing Me, so that came out 2021. This is a good example for the for this question. So when I started Embracing Me, I, I knew it was going to be about mental health. I knew it was going to be about my depression. I really wanted to talk about medication and therapy and that kind of thing in it. But as I started to write it, it didn't feel right. Like it didn't feel like it was having a purpose. It, it felt very like I'm writing a diary and it's just not going anywhere that that first draft. As I got in, I didn't I didn't just throw it away though cuz I was like, "Hey, some something will come from this cuz I I know this is what I need to do. I just can't figure out the purpose." So as I was writing it, um there was a point where something just kind of clicked in my brain um and I realized that the book need the purpose of that book needed to be to let others know that it was okay to have a mental health issue um, and that you could still be awesome and uh, you can embrace, that's why where I came up with the name, you can embrace all parts of yourself. So sometimes you just, sometimes for me, it's just a matter of starting with an idea and then eventually a purpose will click. I had to go back and rewrite the first three chapters, but totally worth it. Um, because as soon as that clicked and as soon as that concept of embracing every aspect of who you are came into my mind, 
I was like, I know this book will be great. I was passionate about it. The writing for it became so much easier because I understood why I was writing it. Um, so I think it really is when it comes to things like mental health anyways, mental health or like um, your story. I, I've read a lot of um you know, nonfiction where it's people sharing their stories, whether it be about mental health or I just read a near-death experience one. Once you figure out that it feels right to you, then you just you just know. I know. That, I wish there was a better answer, <laughs> a more tangible answer. Oh, Roland, I think you're on mute again. That makes sense, though. I mean, it is a case of, like, you feel it and you're like, oh, that's right. And if it doesn't feel right, it's probably not right. Your your gut does have quite good guidance, I think. I'm glad I'm glad you get what I'm going for. <laughs> and listen, I mean, from a practical point of view, I think in general, if if you write um, a nonfiction book that's too broad and too generalized, you know, not only will it not really meet the needs of anyone. I mean, I guess it could be sort of like a you know, a primer to the overall topic. But um, but if you separate things into smaller purposes, then you can you can get more sort of books out of it. You, you know, you, you're writing more because you're focusing on this person and this person, and this person. And a lot of times maybe one book won't be, um, uh, you know, depending on the topic, one book might not appeal to the same or all those books might not appeal to the same person yeah but they'll there might be other people in their lives that the next book will appeal to so if you're writing them for you know the parents of the person you know they would have that and then if you're writing for the person themselves that has the mental health issues they would want that and if you're writing it for you know friends of the people that have it and they would want that and then those people will all be like, hey, you should read this and you should read that, right? So even if they're not buying it themselves. So I guess, you know, like I said, from a practical point of view, it might make sense to, to separate it out that way as well. Definitely. I, I love um, I love getting exactly what I want when I read a book. Like, so I do a ton of book reviews and uh, some of the ones that I've read, they are so broad that I'm just like, this is a lot. And it's not it's not helpful because it's just too much of, of it. But I like I like directness. And I also like things that aren't too long, especially when they're heavy topics. I don't want to read a 400-page super heavy topic on mental health. That, that's just a lot. Um, so I, I tend to keep mine um, fairly short, 150 pages or less, usually around 100. Um, but it's it's making sure again knowing the audience knowing that it is a heavy topic and can be very difficult to pick back up if you put it down because i have definitely had people say i'm crying as i'm reading this which i love those reviews because i'm like yes i succeeded um, but knowing that if i pick this book up again i'm gonna have tears i need to make sure that it's a book that maybe you can't read it in one sitting but you don't need a long time to read it so that you can get what you need out of it and again, I, that comes back to purpose. I think that's wonderful advice. I think everyone listening, if there's one thing to take away, it's like, yeah, brevity is the soul of wit, as Shakespeare said. People these days, they don't, you're not just trying to make them buy your book. You're also trying to make them invest the time to read your book. And I think a lot of books are very thick. I remember working with one guy who was a lawyer and he wrote a nonfiction book about how to solve this particular problem. Uh, and he had like 
the answer to all 50 states in one book. And I'm like, what you should do maybe is split it into 50 books, each one about how to solve this problem in that state, because then it would be tiny, it'd be cheaper, but it would be relevant. And every book was solving someone's problem. So people were far more likely to be like, how can I file for an LLC in New Jersey? Then how can I file for an LLC? Here's a book which tells you how to do it in every state. Yeah, exactly. We don't, as a consumer, like I said, I read lots of books. You guys probably do too. As a consumer, I don't want to have to flip through and look for the information I'm looking for. I want to buy the book that already has it. Absolutely. I mean, that's it. Nonfiction. I think people overlook it. Nonfiction books are generally bought to solve a problem or because you're interested. It's like you buy a biography of Winston Churchill because you're interested in Winston Churchill. But you buy a book about intermittent fasting because you want to lose weight without having to stop drinking beer. And it's like that's yeah, having that purpose in the book baked into it, I think is so important and so overlooked. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I I love this topic, right, of of finding the purpose, because if you again, if you don't know the purpose of the book, your book tends to come out way lengthier. And I remember um, way back in high school. um, But I remember one, one thing that really stuck out of me, I took this creative writing course in 12 in grade 12 and there's not much about high school I remember because I skipped so much but this one course stuck with me because it was if you can say it in three words why are you saying it in 10 absolutely that's but in school I mean they almost teach the opposite right they're like give me an essay of a thousand words and then you're like I only have three words about this topic so now I gotta extend it out to a thousand yeah, kids always complaining about that, right? I don't have to write so many words, and I'm like, you know, yeah. I I could do it. I'm wordy, but you know, I remember back in school, yeah. always trying to extend it longer and longer. And it's almost like they shouldn't be. They should be teaching the opposite. They should be like, you know, get your point across in as few words as possible, because that's the skill people need. Exactly. When you're in the workplace, right? Um, I have never had an employer tell me, you need to talk longer on this topic, or I want more written on this menu board that only has this much space, (laughs) right? No, they want short, sweet, straight to the point, make sure that you hit all of the all of the important things that they need to know and then move on. So yeah, school is definitely not teaching to worldly skills in that regard. Um, They are teaching how to BS, really, to make to fluff things up. And uh, once you become an adult, I mean, we don't want the fluff. We want the facts. Now, if I'm reading, if if I am reading a fiction book, I still don't want that much fluff. Like, personally, I like books that where the dialogue really takes the lead in the story. And there's not a lot of background stuff, um, which to me is all the fluff. Just just enough so I can know where the characters are going. Um, But there's a little bit of place for fluff in, in fiction. But... For the most part, I mean, if you can say it in three words, why are you using 10? Absolutely. Yeah, I guess you don't read a lot of fantasy. They tend to. (laughs) I do. And I will. I literally skip paragraphs when they are just describing landscapes because it's boring to me. I can't. My brain can't visualize it. Um, I know some people's can better than mine, but I I will literally just skip a paragraph and go, okay, well, you're just talking about how green the grass is right now for (laughs) six lines. I don't care how green the grass is. Yeah, I I think it also depends on the right. Like I had that problem with um, Lord of the Rings. Like I really had a 
big problem getting through the three books um, in Lord of the Rings. I found it very, very dry and boring in terms of this. I love movies. I like yeah. the story in general, but like, ah, it was it was a tough read for me. Um, yeah. And it took me, I think in university I started and gave up and then I had to come back to it later in life. Whereas, you know, uh, um, George R. R. Martin, you know, his books, they're super long as well, but I was very happy to read those and I, I found they were much easier to read. So I think, you know, it also depends on, you know. I think a tastes have changed as well. Yes. You know, you read a lot of older books and sometimes there are the, the writers who've really stood the test of time, like Ernest Hemingway, Jane Austen, they tended to write short books, short sentences, punchy. And like these days, you know, uh, the average composition of a book is, is so much uh, more succinct. I was thinking I enjoy reading like Lee Child and Lee Child is famous for having like very short sentences. Punchy keeps the story going along, whereas fantasy books, I think they appeal to people who like longer things and they were written such a long time ago. Yeah. Well, even I, even newer ones, they're, you know, they're they're still usually much bigger. But I think it's also, you know, you're with fantasy, you're in this like, whole different world that you that you can't just rely on people's knowledge of this thing in our world. Yes. And they already know what that is. And what, so you have to maybe describe things a lot more. But it, It's true. Yeah. I, I'm trying to remember. Um Oh, so <laughs> looking at my bookshelf. So um, earlier this year, I read Locked Out of Heaven. I cannot from this distance see the author's name, but the book itself was good. I really enjoyed the storyline, but there was a lot of that describing and fluff in there as well, um, which is why I had to take away a star when I did the review. Really good book still. Loved the, kind of like you said, Lord of the Rings. Really loved the story. But there was so much of that other stuff. And it's a fantasy book. But then I've been reading um, the Warminster series by J.V. Hilliard. And I just finished the third one. And I'm like, hey, when's the next one coming out? Because he has, it's much more fast paced. Because there's much more um, character development and character dialogue. Not as much not as much scene setting um, as others. So every author is a little bit different. And once you find an author you really like, you know, then tell them to write more books. But yeah, everybody has their own style. Yeah, and I guess it's not really something we have to worry about with nonfiction because you're pretty much just sticking to the facts. Um, I guess it's just a matter of how detailed you want to go into those facts. But, you know, often you'll give anecdotes and, you know, character study kind of stuff where you're talking about specific cases, which mm -hmm. ends up, you know, being sort of, I guess, the fluff of a nonfiction. Yeah, yeah, there, there can definitely still be fluff in nonfiction. Um, I've read some where, you know, a case study is great. Five case studies, that's a little tedious. <laughs> Right? Yeah. When it's the same same outcome, right? Like if it's a case, one case study per chapter, because each chapter is looking at something different. Awesome. Fantastic. We're putting it all together. But again, when we're looking at five case studies on the same thing, same outcome, it just gets to be a lot. And I think, I mean, we, you guys have said it in this day and age, people want to know that they're investing their time in something that they can take away from. And that's what it is, is people are really much more conscious, conscientious of what they're spending their time on. Yeah. Was it Tim Ferriss who said attention is a new currency? Because oh, that's, like that. and you know, we're getting, we're getting trained with our TikToks and our YouTube shorts and stuff like that. It's, yeah. we, we like to have what we need downloaded quickly and instantly. 
Yeah. Yeah. I try to tell my kids about like dial up internet and, you know, have patience <laughs> back in the day. And there, there just isn't any patience anymore when it comes to things, right? They want it immediately. They want to get right into the story. Um, right. So it's the same. My kids still love um, my youngest one. He still loves reading 17 and he reads tons of fan fiction because I mean, it's what he likes, but again, they're getting right into the story and they're short. Yes. Fan fiction. I, for fiction, I, I'm a big proponent of fan fiction because what they do it's so clever is you have characters who you already know and are familiar with and then that means you can cut out all of the characterization and go straight down to whatever it is you want them to feel i call it like emotional pornography i think it's a really good way to learn how to write in a lot of ways we've moved quite on from non-fiction though haven't we we should probably try <laughs> drag it back onto the topic sorry i'm really good at uh tangents <laughs> oh no so are we that's a problem <laughs> But in, in terms of nonfiction, right, you come up with a germ of an idea and how much of before you start writing is thinking about how you what is the audience going to be like before you write it for them. It's very we had a, a guest um, last week or the week before uh, last talking about personal branding and customer experience. And it's kind of interesting to see the parallels here where it's like, yeah, you are writing a book that's a nonfiction book that delivers something for somebody. How do you go about before you put pen to paper, like figuring out who the people who are going to read this book are and what they want out of it? Um, I don't always. <laughs> mm. um, so I do try, but I don't always. So sometimes, sometimes as I'm writing, it's not until the second or third chapter that I go, huh, this is what, so when I was talking about embracing me, it wasn't until the third chapter that I go, this, this is the, actual purpose of this book had to go back and rewrite it because when I feel like you need to know the purpose before the audience um, because once you know the purpose you know who you're speaking to uh, and so that can be tricky um, at times so I'm been me and my friend we're, we've been throwing back and forth this idea I know the title of the book it's going to be called um, in the mirror and it's going to be about body image and so we're throwing back these ideas back and forth because I'm like body image that's a huge topic but what is our actual purpose behind it? So we've been narrowing it down, niching it down to have a specific top, to have a specific purpose. And that way we can talk to that specific audience on that purpose. So I do think that um, at least for my, my kind of routine of how I do it, purpose comes before audience, generally speaking. I like that. That's an interesting, interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. So <laughs> Uh, so when you write your first book, you've written your first draft of your book and you said uh, like the the one uh, talking about your brother, you have five revisions. Like uh, what is what is the stage that goes through? You write your book, you have your first draft, you start to revise it. Are you revising it for you or are you revising it for the people you think are going to buy it and read it? So that one in particular. Um, so I don't normally have that many revisions like edits sure but not that many revisions uh this one just because it was such a particularly hard one to write um because i didn't wait too long after he had died to write it either um i probably started writing it maybe three months after he died so it was still very very fresh and so that's why that first the first draft was angry um very much anger towards him the second draft was yeah a little bit more written to me working through those anger emotions <laughs> and then finally um finally the by the third and fourth draft i was really writing more towards the audience and then filling in with all the research that's interesting i like that yeah 
So if somebody is writing a nonfiction and they haven't done one before, I know you said that you are more of a pantser, you know, but I, I personally, I mean, in general, I'm more of a plotter, but I would think with nonfiction, it would help to, to plot more because you want to figure out all of the things that you want to talk about. Sometimes there's a natural flow to the order they should go in. They're not always, I know in your case, they're more personal and like almost like telling your story, but they're they're not always like that. Nonfiction often is more, you know, like I don't say textbooky, but you know, they're yes, it's you know. Um, so you know, what's what are your thoughts on that sort of idea? Yeah, so you, you can have a little bit a combination of both. Um, so with oh, there's a kitty tail. Um, so with with this last one, goodbye too soon. Um, I did just kind of start writing it pantser style, right? Um, but then as I was thinking about the audience, thinking about the purpose, I did start sort of plotting it out. Going, um, like you said, there's certain flow of how things need to go together. So once I realized that I'm going to be talking to the families. Um, then I went, okay, what does a family need to know? They need to understand the risk factors. So, so I would have like a little cheat sheet beside me and I said, okay, um, risk factors. Then I'd keep typing, go, oh, you know what else they need to know? They need to understand the diagnose, diagnostical criteria. Then I keep writing. So once I kind of got through that first chapter, because the first chapter of that book is the day I, I got the phone call saying he was dead. So there really was no plotting needing to go into that chapter. Um, it really was just my experience with that. And so as I'm writing that chapter and these little things are coming into my head, I would write them all down. Afterwards, I kind of looked at it and go, huh, these are these are some good ideas for the book. Look at me coming up with great stuff. Um, but then I said, okay, so this needs to come before that, right? I, I want the diagnostical criteria to come before, you know, the risk factors, or I wanted the, there's a chapter about, um, our youth, our youth criminal justice system, because at the time my brother was, was going through it, it, the law had changed. And that kind of played a big role as well. So where does that fit in and kind of putting it in an order that made sense. So you can do a little combo of both, right? You could you don't have to sit there and pre plot the entirety before you start writing. If you're like, I have this great idea, I'm going to go for it as you're writing, keep notes beside you. Keep some notes. And then when you go back, okay, what makes the most logical sense? Some people like to do it with sticky notes so they can physically move the sticky notes around. Um, I like whiteboards. <laughs> um, but yeah, and that way you can actually see where your ideas are and put them in what makes the most sense. I know this sounds like a, a, like a plotter, not a panster. I said it's a little combo. <laughs> it's a little combo on that one because I started pantsing it. As I was pantsing it, then plotting happened. So it was a combo on that one. But my some of my other books, like um, the the one about raising my kid with autism, totally pantsered that one. I did not plot that one out. <laughs> I just went, yeah. hey, as a it, parent, what do you want to hear? This is my story. Yeah, I think it really probably depends on the the type of book, the type of nonfiction, and the and the sort of the style that you're writing in. Exactly. I think, like you said, your style is probably more suited to that whereas i think if if you're writing a book on you know finance or i don't know roland if you when you did your intermittent fasting did you plot out the sort of the chapters and all of the points you wanted to hit 
I have to admit, I was definitely in my pants to stage then, so I didn't. But then I kind of had an idea of what I was trying to, to put across anyway. And it's, uh, yeah, it was it was a case. I think the, the most challenging thing for me with that book was the conclusion. It's like, hey, I have to explain, hey, you have a problem. This is intermittent fasting. This can solve your problem. This is why it works. This is how you do it. And then conclusion. Right. And I guess that sort of makes, you know, sense for most nonfiction is you want to guide people towards an ending that uh, solves the problem or or at least helps them get to their own solution for the problem. I was going to say, Randy, so what's your background? And do you, uh, uh, did you uh, go to university? Did you study a particular topic or anything like that? Because I will say I studied history at university, which is a case of teaching you how to put together a uh, how to suggest a hypothesis and then back it up with facts and evidence which i find really useful when you're writing something non-fiction i was wondering if that was you know your background and whether that was something that helped so i took first i took pre-community services which is just like a one-year kind of um course but then i put corrections well it was called community justice services but it was really about the correctional system um in well in ontario specifically and then i went and did um psychology interesting that's and psychology is a very appropriate one for for this particular topic <laughs> right like I, I absolutely love psychology it's so much fun um and then when i was actually out of college i worked at um, one of our local native centers and through that we had to take some um native courses so it was pretty interesting learning a bunch of that i my contract finished before i technically finished the entire program that they had laid out but i did the what four out of the the eight and it was pretty cool that's that's what psychology is what my uh my my degrees in as well so i think you know a lot of authors sort of go the route of you know learning something else that sort of helps them understand people and then they end up writing i think most sure. writers have like empathy is a very strong trait in most writers especially fiction writers because yeah. you need to be able to see through eyes and then psychology is a, a great background for that because it helps you understand why people do things yeah i find psychology so very interesting i just wish in university they didn't make you take all these random courses too like i took astronomy at one point because i needed a science or something or some whatever i'm like this means nothing but i'm gonna take it <laughs> Yeah. Makes it more well-rounded, right? <laughs> you know, we are approaching the top of the hour. So uh, very quickly, to sort of bring things back to the topic we were talking about, Randy, when uh, when people are sitting down planning to write a nonfiction book about something that is important to them, what would you say the three most important steps are to think about before you put pen to paper? Know your purpose. Yeah. Your, your purpose should then lead you to your audience. So then know your audience. And then as you're writing, I know it's before you put pen to paper, but make sure that it feels right. Yes, feels right. That's great advice. That's going to make coming up with the, the, the topic for this uh, podcast much easier as well. I think purpose is kind of, you know, having that purpose behind you. And what is your purpose, would you say, with uh, the next books you're going to write? Um, so actually, the next one that I'm coming up with, it's, I'm applauding it this time um, because it's actually going to be a suspense. I am deviating away from nonfiction and I am writing a suspense book. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes since I'm doing a big, a big 180 and deviating away. <laughs> oh, well, you'll have to keep us posted on that. Craig, before we wrap up, do you have any questions for Randy? Uh, no, I, you know, I think we, this was a good 
sort of um, primer for the you know starting a nonfiction, all this, all the idea behind knowing your audience and your purpose, which I think is uh, it sounds to me like it's really key to honing in on your topic, making sure that it's going in the right direction, it's going to meet the needs of whoever is supposed to read it, um, and then allows you to you know go back later and and write ones that are sort of connected uh, that you know might broaden the audience that the topic is is for um and you know i think you gave a lot of really interesting points about how to do that which is i think the hardest part for people is to sort of get that in their head so thanks for coming on and, and taking us through all that thank you so much for having me and where can people find out more about you randy where can they go yeah so my website is rbwriting.ca and then I am on Facebook, RB Writing. I am on uh, YouTube, RB Media. I am on Instagram and TikTok at Randy Lee Boslaw. Excellent. Well, we'll pop a link down to your website down below. And if you are watching this or listening to this and you decide to scroll down there, show Randy some love. Leave a comment and let uh, let her know how valuable you found everything she shared with us uh, has been to you. And also, while you're down there, if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button, hit that like button, hit that bell notification so you get updated every time we have a new episode. And, uh, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Fully Booked. So until then, cheerio.